be careful what you wish for because if you're not ready you're gonna mentally fuck yourself no matter what somebody told me I didn't believe it so even now somebody t tells me you can't be men's hairdresser of the year <laughs> all right <laughs> watch me do it then you know like, in them moments you really start to question do I want this or do I not All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Network Podcast. Um, we're really excited to be back again, doing another one for you. For everybody that tuned in last time, we really appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, last episode was a good one. It was. Um, yeah, welcome back, first and foremost. We kind of skimmed past Lee's story on the first episode, so <laughs> um, he more than got his chance last time. Yeah, went, went on a, um, bit of a bit of a rampage on but the last yeah, look, episode. I think all relevant all relevant absolutely the whole story counts as to where you're at today and yeah yeah it yeah. was good it was good to um very cathartic getting all that out mm, you know it's almost like a bit of a movie going on in your head to get that out and yeah just yeah, reflecting cool. right so um yeah today we're gonna uh you know get away from me and we're gonna switch it over to you cool so, yeah we'll get into my uh, yeah. story a little bit yeah. um i guess these two episodes Getting these done right at the very beginning of the podcasting journey is probably of importance because I feel like they'll always just be there for people to go back. Yeah. You know, some people might discover the podcast 10 episodes deep Yep. and they might be like, oh, I wonder what the story is with these boys. And they might just go back and have a look at these two episodes. Yeah, because I think it probably just get a bit boring if we just keep talking about our story all the time. You know, yeah, we drop it in here and there, little nuggets of it. But yeah, mm. like like we said in the, in the last podcast, at the beginning of each and every class that we do, we always talk about ourselves at the beginning, and it's something again that we do find a little bit awkward to a degree, <laughs> unless it's actually scheduled like it is today yeah. um, or yesterday. So this is our opportunity, I guess, to be able to tell our story and. Hopefully people can find, take something away from find it, the value in it, get yeah. a bit of inspiration from mm -hmm. it, and yeah, yeah so, who knows? Yeah. All right. So let's so go get into it. So we get in. yeah, we'll go straight in. Let's start. Start. Take me. Take me back. What was it like for you as a child, a young man? Oh, child. So a young nipper. A young. Okay. Um, Where did it start? How well, far back? From what you can remember. How far back do you want to go in terms of what? In what context? I guess. What was what was it like growing up for you? To be honest, yeah. Before before anything sort of like significant moments, you know, life changing sort of activities and things like that. What was it like? I would say like my upbringing was very. I don't want to say privileged. I think people where I'm from would think that I have a privileged upbringing due to my family and and the success within my family. So basically my granddad on my dad's side, he came from nothing. Mm. Um, family of 13, he was the seventh child. Wow. Very small village in Cork. And he started a car dealership and he developed it into a massive company. Um, he was like the number one Opel, Saab, Chrysler, Jeep across Ireland. Um, his best friend, um, who's still alive now, I'm pretty sure, um, was a promoter who helped right. bring like Michael Jackson to Ireland and stuff. Yeah. So my granddad kind of came from nothing. He had that come from, coming from nothing yeah, story. Yeah. And he turned himself into like 
uh, a baller essentially um, at that time especially you know he had the biggest house in Fermoy um, you know had all the flash all the money everything so I guess you know from the outside looking in people probably thought oh yeah the McCarthy's in Fermoy you know they're rich I was going to say whose side was that on? My dad's side. Your dad's side said that was the yeah, McCarthy name, yeah. Yeah, but like, so, we'll get deep with it, who, get, who gives a shit, yeah, but um, my parents separated when I was very young, like so young that I can't remember, like 10 weeks or something like crazy. Oh, so you were like a yeah, baby. Yeah, so they separated then, so I can't remember any of, you know, you don't really remember things in your childhood being no. good, but like, if there was money around, it would have been when I was very young. Right, um, right. But I always lived with my mom, and my mom's side of the family would have been at that time a bit more humble, I guess. Yeah. In terms of like, you know, my mom's comes from a farming background. I kind of touched on that yesterday, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that people don't really know about me is I got that farming background to me as well. Um, so I guess the mix of both of them kind of gave me the humility on both ends. I could see what it was like for people who were living kind of almost like the high life and I could also relate to I guess just your kind of everyday family uh, which my mom's family was and really great morals really great um kind of loving nature I guess yeah um but yeah that's that's Im- I think that's really important isn't it you know yeah those that there's certain morals and sort of structures in your brain's framework that you can't get any other way than having that from an early age. No, no. And, you know, you know, there's always, yeah. Look, I won't get too deep into that because I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> but there's always been a stigma around my family where I'm from. Right. Oh, they, they got everything. They got the money. They got the this. They got that. Yeah. They have it easy, you know. And is that from the, grand, the grandfather's line? Yeah. But, yeah. like, he worked hard to get to that point. And that's what people are missing. They just think, oh, these people had this handed to them. Yeah. yeah, maybe like my dad and like his siblings might have had it a bit easier than my granddad did. Mm. But still, you know, like that's not their fault. No. My granddad created that life for them and it was up to him and how he did it. But, you know, that kind of, again, I guess coming back to the stigma thing, put this stigma around me and my family in school. So, you know, our hard work was always a bit discredited right right and I think that's maybe why I work so hard I say, now. does that attribute to what you do now I think it probably does yeah like, like it's almost like a proving people wrong type yeah, of thing yeah, yeah. and you know it's interesting because my mom's a hairdresser um, she's been a hairdresser for yeah hell of a long time over 30 years she's had her own salon for almost that time too and it would have been very very easy for me to just set up shop in Ireland this is skipping the a bit of the story but yes, it would have been easy for me to just set up shop in Ireland but I know that people would have always been just like in my hometown they would have mm. been like oh, oh sure, no wonder he's doing good in hair because his mom's a hairdresser and he got the salon handed to him and blah 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 blah, blah you know just talking shit like people do in yeah. a small town to be honest and What's people are probably going to be they're probably going to be listening to this now but I don't give a fuck yeah. right, to be honest um, short time what's, but, um, what's the population of your hometown um, I would say it's about 10 to 15 thousand yeah that's interesting I it think is mine Mm. It was about 300,000. Okay. So it's not a massive city, but nobody really knew your business. No, everyone knows your business where I'm from. You could go out and I could go out all day in town and not see a single person that I knew. Mm-hmm. 
just anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think like, yeah, I think like growing up, um, just to kind of come back a little bit on the story before I even got to school, like my mom was always pretty good at trying to make me my own independent person with as little influence from either direction as possible. That's cool. Um she she was really good that way. She would kind of you know, she'd never try to subliminally tell me anything or um force me in any direction I tried a lot of different things a lot of different sports a lot of different interests hobbies Mm. all sorts of things um, growing up and she just kind of yeah gave me the best life she possibly could so I'm very grateful for her and without my mum I wouldn't be the person that I am today for sure Mm. I think that's interesting with like um, you know the independence thing are you the eldest? yeah yeah I'm the eldest of four Mm. and I think I just by chance got the independence Mm-hmm. You know, looking after my mum and dad, looking after the younger brothers, being the eldest boy, you're the one. You know, you have the responsibility first. Yeah. And so I just got independence, mm-hmm. which is pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I think well, like that, even that, when I had siblings, I always maintained that as well because I never lived with them. Because uh, I have two brothers, but they're my two half brothers. Right, right. And my dad um, had them in his second marriage. So I always just almost lived the only child lifestyle. How's your bond with them? Great. Yeah, that's awesome. Probably better for not living with them. Yeah, that's like me and my brothers. Yeah, you know, I guess like yeah, when you're younger, there's a little bit of that rivalry. Well, for me, that you know, there's that sibling rivalry. Yeah, well, you were closer in age. That's why we were so close. We we were not that close in age. I said three. It's a year between us. Yeah, me, Adam, Dan. There's a year between us. So. Yeah, there's there's that sibling rivalry. Moving away was crazy. Mm. I, I couldn't believe how much I missed them when I moved away. I never yeah. thought it would ever happen. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Especially when you live with them growing up and stuff. But yeah, no, I definitely do miss my brothers. Um, we've got a great relationship. Yeah, they're Dion's about seven years younger than me, or six years, seven years, yeah. and Jack is one year younger than Dion. So there's quite a gap um, in between us. Yeah. So, you know, it is tough leaving yeah. them because they do look up to me a lot. I know they do. Yeah. And I'm probably one of the only people that they actually listen to yeah. about anything, you know. Um, well, sorry to detract from your story, but yeah, me and my younger brother, there's 10 years between us. Mm. And yeah, when I was when we, when I still lived at home, I think I was a big role model to him because like, I was working, you know, I was like 18. He was like, what, eight yeah, you know, mm. so, oh, this is the big brother, you know, and I, I was driving everywhere. I'd, I'd drop him off to school. I'd pick him up. I'd, I'd mm. I'm a days off from work because I used to get a day off in the middle of the week. I'd yeah. just take him for a drive. It was cool for him, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I left home to come to Australia, he was 11 at this point. Yeah. And then I didn't see him again until he was like 17. Yeah, wow. Well. And he was a man now. Yeah, different, right? And like, it was absolutely it's scary. so crazy. And like, yeah. I found it really hard to see him as a man yeah because I, I remembered him as the 11 year old kid yeah of course and I think that I feel like that might have affected our relationship a little bit yeah you kind of um, missed the, the years I missed, where growing I missed all of his growing up yeah yeah and that the influence was just gone yeah you know I was just gone mm-hmm. so yeah it's tough it's tough being over here I think a lot of people listening to this are probably in Australia from Australia yeah, yeah. and they don't understand the sacrifice that we have to make to be yeah. here 
and not seeing your family you know we, yeah. I see people complaining about the pettiest bullshit like <laughs> and it's like yeah. we can't even see our family you know yeah, you, just because yeah. you can't go on your holiday to Bali or like yeah. all these different things I've, I've um, I'm at peace with it now like, me too it's, me it's too. a choice because it's a choice it's, right? it is like, a choice yeah. I, I know deep down inside me I chose to do it mm. and I'm very very fortunate that my parents are just so supportive of that they're always like just go and do it just yeah. follow your dreams just do it mm-hmm. we never did it go and do it um, but yeah I, I always say to people it's the best and worst thing I've ever done it's the mm. best thing because the transformation over the last 10 years is unbelievable yeah. I am a different person Yeah. but it's the worst thing because that's most of that time away from your parents the hardships you don't see your family you don't see your brothers you don't see your friends you know mm. all the friendship circles just gone basically yeah, yeah. keep in touch with a couple of people mm. um, so that's that's hard but that's the growth phase I think that was a huge growth phase yeah definitely definitely um, but so yeah. let's get back to that so so going going forward from, from there I think I've always had I wouldn't say a chip on my shoulder I think, I think that's the wrong way to put it but like I've always felt a bit misunderstood okay you know even yeah. by my school teachers and stuff yeah because I got this label put on me oh he's a McCarthy you know he's got everything like right. they've got so everything yeah. this okay. and that you know he doesn't have to work for anything this and that right like fuck I don't I don't know even in school the conformative standards that school sets didn't really fit in with the way I thought about things or the way I thought about the world or whatever yeah. I had bigger aspirations I always had bigger aspirations yeah and I just don't think that people really got it the people that were around me that could potentially influence me at that time like my teachers and stuff I never looked at them as inspirational figures at yeah. all ever where do you think that bigger inspiration came from then? within myself and like looking at was it, sports was any... it was sport really that okay. that started that because yeah. you know you look at people at the top level of sport and you think I'm going to be there and fuck all of you guys I'm going to get there you know yeah. it was a bit yeah. like that well that's that's interesting that's that's the sort of mentality in the UK isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was always told that you know don't ever do anything for free fuck everybody else do what you need to do you know mm. like mm. I, know, I know differently now but that's a bit of yeah. a mentality yeah I think you develop that that mentality over time as well yeah you know it's just it's ingrained in you and even me thinking back to that now it kind of explains a lot of my behaviours these days too you know yeah my partner often asks me like why do you think you're like that and that's probably it yeah I go around even nowadays thinking oh nobody understands me you know yeah yeah but it's deep it's probably it goes way way back yeah Yeah. Um, but I think you know I had plenty of outlets to let that out and to try and prove myself and show myself and I didn't win a lot Mm -hmm. you know I don't know if anyone saw the American Crew thing, the video that we did, and mm. we came second. Or yeah. we didn't even come second. There was no second place. But like basically, <laughs> yeah, even basically <laughs> losing to me is like coming second anyway. So it's kind of yeah. like, all right, well, we didn't win. That's absolutely fine because I'm used to that. I've I've come second and third my whole life in yeah. everything, and it's just what keeps me moving forward. You know, um, I think there's some more depth that we can get into on that about in my story, but like. But yeah, I pretty much knew early on that. And it sounds mad. It sounds a bit fucking silly to say it, but like I kind of knew early on that this isn't for me here in my hometown. Mm. There, there's bigger things out there for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Before you move on, what? Who were you trying to prove it to at that young? Like, 
Is that something you're looking back on now and thinking I had something to prove or did you think that at the time as well? There's nobody in particular. There's not like a, a person that stands out. But I think it's it was just almost a stigma. It was the stigma that I was right. trying to prove wrong. You, you, you're tr- yeah. I was trying yeah, to make yeah, my own... Yeah. I was trying to do it my was, own um, thing, you know? Yeah, it was that stigma that was just the environment you were in and like... Yeah. Like, didn't really... Yeah, I, I was like, well, look... Yeah, these people might think this thing, or it's only a small probably percentage, but in my hometown, there's definitely that stigma. And then, like you know, them people might think that, but I'm going to show them different. And much like we get these days, where people say, "Oh, you guys are a lot different to what I thought you were going to be." Yeah. When I started cutting hair, that's what happened. People were like, "Oh, you are a lot different to what I thought you were going to yeah. be." And it's like, well, why did you create that preconceived idea of who I am then? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Who knows um, and there's a big aspect of jealousy in it too you know there is yeah yeah and jealousy is like love and hate at the same time isn't it yep you're hating on somebody because you'd love to be them almost yeah. it's kind of like that you're hating on them because you don't have what they have yeah but you'd love to have what they have but it's just like walk a, a day in somebody else's shoes and you'll realize that that's not necessarily the idea or the conception that you have in your mind it's not always what's there like I think people had had the whole thing misinterpreted or misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably what that comes from. And it's just like the never fully getting the recognition for what I was doing. I think okay. that's what was driving me too. You know? Do you still feel the same now if you don't get recognition? Yeah. 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 Honestly, yeah, I do. That's like that's probably why I work the way I work. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm always seeking the next bit of recognition and and like. It's it's not necessarily that I like I I don't know I need to be honest with myself don't I it's it's almost like yeah it's not going to be the detriment of my life but it is something that's important to me because it keeps me stimulated yeah and it keeps me working towards something and I love working towards things and working towards goals yeah um, I'm like that I, I, structure for me is amazing. Yeah. So we've had this conversation a lot, haven't we? We, we look at our to-do list mm-hmm. and some people would freak out. They'd be like, oh, but mm. to us, it's just, okay, this is a process we've got to get from here to here. Let's tick all these off. It's like the, the structure and the process of getting those done. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so from there, I think um, when I was in school, I always felt like I was being held back. So when I feel like that kind of touched on it yesterday too I didn't really give a shit I didn't care for school too much I, if I applied myself I could have probably done well yeah I don't think at that time my creative needs were being met so I just wasn't interested there were certain topics that I knew would help me further in life I would always just think in school nah this isn't going to help me later in life like when the fuck have I ever used algebra since <laughs> I left school not once it's weird I always used to wonder where the hell that came from like, like what's, we used to say what's that. The relevance, yes. What's the relevance of that? Like, when are we ever going to use this? It's like, how did we work that out? Like, yeah. And why are we how learning? How did we know? Why, why are we having a whole dedicated <laughs> time to religion? Yeah. It's crazy. Nah. Silly. It's culture, mate. But then, what I actually did at that time, and I'm lucky that I had the support of my mom, like, I used to channel my energy into other things, like my cycling at the time. Um, I tried a lot of different sports growing up. I was pretty good at, like, 
I was pretty good at a lot of them. I was never the best at anything. And that's, I think, something that's a really key part of my, yeah. my story. And even to today, I'm definitely not the best haircutter in the world, you know, like, nowhere near it. Are so, you not? like, no. I thought you were. Nah, <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I played racquetball quite a high level. I was one game away from. So, I, this is another thing, right? I'm used to disappointment. Yeah. I'm used to disappointment and dealing with it and moving yeah. on. It's, it's how you deal with it, isn't it? Yeah, I'm very used to that. So, like, I was one place away in my racquetball journey to going to like the world championships and it was in our regional final I was 10-1 up in the tiebreaker and I lost 12-10 you have to lose by two points it was how, one, I, was, I don't know where to start with that how did that happen I lost the head <laughs> but that's a lesson you know you learn did you, from that did you I, think, when, I, when I finished that you day you just had it in the back you know, um no I, I don't know I don't know what happened I, I got out of serve the guy Got me out of serve at ten right, one, right, right, um, and I just couldn't get just him back out of it. Shook you, yeah, like you just got shook. I was like, oh fuck, I've lost it now. You know, yeah, like it was a mentality yeah. thing. Yep. At that time, I was only about fourteen. Yeah. And um, I remember after the game, broke my racket off the wall, <laughs> and that was the end of my racquetball career. I just stopped there because I was like, you know what? Like, if I'm not going to the world championships, then I'm not fucking doing this. Yeah. And I've thought about that with everything that I've ever done. If I'm not going to get to the top 10% of something, then there's no point. Yeah. So from there, I just focused on my cycling career. Um, what really, I was always cycling, so we'll start on the cycling journey because that's where my life kind of went for such a long time. What age were you when you started? I was about 10 or 11, 10 maybe. Yeah. Um, my uncle Noel got into cycling. He, he Noel lives in Adelaide now. So my uncle Noel got us into cycling. All of the young guys like around my age kind of got together a cycling club and from why it was really nice we used to yeah. go to all like the different races at the weekends together um, just have a bit of fun it was more of a social thing to begin with I was still dipping my finger into other sports and trying different things uh, so I never took my cycling career fully seriously until I was about but like up to this point let's let's like I'll just go back a little bit I was pretty good like I would be top three in the country wow. you know, t- at nationals and I wouldn't really win too many races. There was a couple of boys that were a bit bigger and stronger than me. My cousin Robert John and uh, David Chambers. Two boys might be watching this. Who knows? Um, <laughs> we should get Robert on the podcast. I think he'd be pretty good, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. I'll tell you a story, a couple of stories about Robert in a sec. But um, but yeah. So I used to always lose to them. So I was almost like the third place guy, you know. Yeah. They were battling it out yeah. for the win, and I'd just come in and take third. Like you know, yeah. I was I wasn't developed enough or bigger, strong enough to, to do it at that time. I was yeah. small, and um, as I guess that kind of drive, not drive, <laughs> that put a determination in me to want to get bigger and stronger. So I kept training. I would train harder than everyone, and eventually, over the years, that accumulates. It compounds. You eventually catch up development wise, mm. and then you surpass and you keep going. And that's what happened. I, I went to. I think in your cycling career, at a certain point, you have to choose, okay, am I going to do this full-time or am I not? Because you can't just be doing other sports and trying to cycle at the same time. It's a it's a full-time sport. Like You yeah. need to dedicate everything to it. I think a lot of sports are, though, aren't they? If you're going to go to that level... Yeah, no, you need to dedicate. You, gotta, you, you gotta need to make a decision. All in, don't you? Yeah, you need to make... No. At a certain point, you need to make a decision. That, that was my problem in, in hockey. I had that 
I had that moment and there were certain circumstances that I just couldn't go all in mm. yeah and I used to play soccer too like I was playing soccer for a while this is another thing that kind of fucking pissed me off in my life too like I was playing soccer at one stage I was pretty okay when I was younger I was pretty good would always start and then like I don't know what it was I just me and one of the managers never saw eye to eye and I just never got played and eventually same thing as the racquetball I was just like fuck this I'm not going back anymore you know like, it was almost like the misunderstood yeah. thing again um, there's, I see, there's a theme coming up here I think isn't it you're, you're good at knowing when to cut it yeah, yeah that is something I really struggle with um, a lot of like worry comes into my mind when is it the right thing to do but I heard someone uh, I think it was Ty Lopez always talks about you know that that quote most men live lives of quiet desperation mm. and he says the way he puts it is there's nothing worse than waking up one day realising you spent too much time on the wrong thing mm. you know what Stephen says as well time is so precious Stephen says um, contrary to popular belief sometimes quitting is for winners knowing when to step away from a certain situation is key in terms of happiness and 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 fulfillment and moving on to the next step of your life what the next skill. stage what a skill what a hard thing to, to be learn. able to just be like nah alright it's time it's time now to like move on try something new and yeah. put my energy elsewhere so I learned that from quite an early age yeah. but um, society society will tell you otherwise yeah you know? and I think at that time it was okay because I was so young that I wasn't so set on this identity I was creating for myself yeah okay. stepping away from my cycling career was much harder because right. I had my identity was built upon being a cyclist yep from the age of 15 until 21 I was like all in all chips on the table cycling yeah even my teachers in school one of them who initially like we got along um then he didn't really take to me too much because I didn't care about school and then he started cycling mm. and then he realized what cycling was all about yeah and he realized okay maybe Owen isn't a waste man yeah. maybe he's actually doing something that's yeah that's relevant and then he told me once he was like don't have a plan B this is what teachers should never tell any student <laughs> in, well that's that's what they say but like maybe to me this struck a chord but he was like this stuck with me for my life actually he was like don't have a plan B because as soon as plan A gets a little bit too hard plan B is going to be there for you to figure out plan B when it comes to it you know yeah. cross that bridge when it comes to it and like that's kind of what's happened throughout throughout my whole life um so what a really pivotal moment in my decision making process i guess for my life was when i went to the tour de france so i went to monaco to the tour de france to the start of it with my cousins um in 2009 i think it was and i was about 16 at the time i came back and i was like yeah cycling is what i want to do yeah. like it was Lance Armstrong's comeback year just buzzing on it yeah oh it was just such a fucking sick event like un- unreal so I came I'd, back I'd love, I'd love to go to that so I'd cool love to see it, like. so cool such a circus like you're just like I was like this is where I'll get my recognition all your idols you are know? there yeah, yeah everyone was there you're like whoa yeah met, met them all you know how crazy how crazy nuts so I was like alright cool that's what I want to do so after that the reverse engineering started how am I going to do that um, trained started investing in myself got coaches eventually that developed onto me becoming decent enough not never the best or anything um, getting onto the Irish national teams always showing up 
always been there for the trials this and that got on the national team did some races decided you know nobody's going to do this for me yeah so I was like when I finish school I'm going to go to Belgium I think so this is what happened actually so in my fifth year in school so in Ireland you have six years in school in my fifth year in school in the summer holidays I reached out to a team in Belgium and I asked can I come and ride for you guys for the summer they said yeah so I went there for about 10 weeks at 17 rented uh, a room in a, in a place um, that was decent enough at the time but there was no cooking facilities or anything so here I was at 17 years old for 10 weeks in Belgium for the most part by myself my mom came at the beginning for the first couple of days to kind of help me suss the place out had to fend for myself had to find my way to the races wow. sometimes I would have to ride two hours to a race do the race and ride two hours home afterwards <laughs> wow. so I'd ride 60 kilometers to a race at, this is at 17 years old do a 90 to 100 kilometer race and ride 60k home. home yeah now in them moments you really start to question do I want this yeah. or do I not yeah. but like until I get to that stage where I think that I'll be happy I'm not going to stop so yeah. it was kind of like that yeah did that for 10 weeks had crazy experiences there um, had to grow up pretty quickly you know mm. figure things out for yourself yeah and then I came back and a lot of the time a lot of the time over there you know you're in Dutch and Flemish speaking teams there's no, nobody who can even speak English to you so you're just sitting wow. around at dinners with your teammates <laughs> silent and you just can't really you're just observing yep and you're just observing it's almost like you're observing just the energy because you can't understand the conversation but you can mm -hmm. kind of contextualize it through the energy which is very interesting because um, we talk about that now about the observing thing yesterday we were talking about it um, but to go back to the story so from there the team wanted to keep me for the next year so they were like yeah we'd love to have you next year they said can you come back and I said yeah um I just need to speak to my mom, see what's going on. At that time, I was like, I want to finish school. I want to just quit school and go to Belgium and cycle. Now, look, I can understand her worry at that time because it's a big thing to do. Um, she never liked school herself, my mom. So, like, I think that really helped me. And our deal, I guess, was... It was like a security thing for her and for me, I guess. But our deal was I finish school and then I can go and cycle full time. That was the plan. Sure. So I went back to school, of course, knowing that I had a contract for the following year. Didn't give a single shit. <laughs> you know, when my mind was somewhere really, else. really doesn't matter. Didn't care. I would take class off all the time to go training. It's not like I was just bunking class and doing nothing pr yeah. productive. And that's what people like couldn't understand. I never did my homework and stuff like that. I didn't care. I, I just about... It's not that I just about passed every everything. I did all right in some subjects. Like I was all right in English. Always could hold my own in in English, and I passed everything. So she was happy. I was happy. I went and cycled full time. I remember in school, my there's a thing in Ireland called the CAO. So that's like the form that you fill out for college. And my principal at the time and my vice principal were so concerned because I was the only person in my whole year who didn't fill it out. Wow. And they were like, <laughs> they called my mom in once to have a meeting. They were like, Owen's not filling out his CAO. 
we're worried about him we're worried about his future what's he going to do this and that and my mom was just like he can do what he wants great advice and you know what even at that time I was like if if it all fails ma'am I'll, I'll do hair you just go into it yeah yeah because yeah. you have the salon I'm your only child the salon will be mine anyway eventually so it'd be nice for me to even know how to do hair so that was the kind of I guess plan B but I kept it so far in the back of my mind that it never yeah. really became an option until yeah. the until the very end so I moved to Belgium did that for three years so many lessons like that could have a whole podcast in itself we won't get into everything um, but there were so many lessons and so many things that I learned throughout them years in terms of resilience determination dedication how to stick to things how to achieve goals um, we, we said this on our walk earlier but everything that I do now in hair seems very easy in comparison yeah. to my, the life yep. that I lived then yep. um, and you know I always had this goal in mind um, if I get to this certain point then I'll be happy with my career and if it goes further than that then great if not okay I'll accept it but if I don't get to this certain stage and I'm not even able to try it then I'll never know so there was a specific team that I wanted to get onto, um, which is it was an Irish professional team, sponsored by Ampost, which is the um, Irish post office. And if I didn't get there, this is where all like the promising young Irish writers would go, you know. And and I was like, if I don't get here, then that's it. I'm I won't be happy with my career. And I even remember at the time, growing up, right before I went to Belgium my coach at the time I remember being out for a ride with him I used to drive a couple of hours right this this is when I was 18 I used to get up in Ireland 7am 6am drive two hours meet my coach in his hometown at about 8am go out for three or four hour ride and then drive home again and uh, I remember one time he told me he was kind of backhandedly telling me like oh you know make sure now you keep studying and you go to college and you do all this because only a certain amount of people make it like yeah. only a certain amount of people ever get to the top level um, so he was basically telling me at that time you're, you're not good enough to do this right and again that was another moment where I was like huh, I'll show you you yeah. know yeah. and I think we both have that similar trait in our personalities yeah. I was like nah I'm going to show him I don't care I'm going to keep working I'm going to keep knocking on the door I don't care how many times I get turned down and you know what I, I also realised throughout them years if you want to do something you have to do it yourself you have to reach out and you have to ask the questions or you don't get the answers I was going to say that there's a lot of themes coming up as I'm listening to you there's so many themes I'm relating to like this whole trip you know when I came to Australia even let's, let's go back cutting hair there's never been a plan B I had to make this work yeah. Like clients will ask me, oh, have you ever thought about doing anything else? Honestly, no. Mm. Why? Because there's never been a plan B. <laughs> yeah. I honestly don't know what else I would do mm-hmm. um, because I know I've got to make this work. Yeah. Um, but I've been like that since a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to do something, no one's going to hold your hand. No. You go and do it. You go and make it work. Yeah. You know? And I think even, even when I did make it work, right? So I got to that team. Yeah. Eventually, I got there. And along the way, I was part of many Irish national teams, rode European Championships for Ireland, did all these um, bigger races for the national team, got to that team, and it's like, that coach, 
at that time he still didn't really even say anything you know yeah it's just this Irish mentality man it's just I, I think it's just British mentality in, in general it's like just nuts. people like that around around my area as well yeah so look I don't care no answer is sometimes the best answer yep when you don't hear anything that's kind of like hmm okay yeah <laughs> yeah alright you said that I wouldn't be able to do this yeah I did it now I am um, <laughs> but pretty early on right I got to that team that was in 2015 lots of lessons learned in between but 2015 I got to that team I pretty much knew straight away we did our training camps in Spain we did our pre-season everything was great I worked as hard as I possibly could when I look back now I really left no stone unturned I was all in for pro cycling no I really couldn't have like Hannah's asked me this a few times as well. She's like, "Could you have actually worked harder, on And I really don't think I could have. Yeah, I like there's a physical limit, like that you cannot, you can only yeah. do so much. Yep. I really don't think I could have worked harder than what I did. I was meticulous in my training. I said yeah. this in the first episode. Yeah. I was really meticulous. I had a really great stretching routine. I had all my training. I was tw- training twenty to thirty hours a week. Yeah, you know, how much more can you do on a bike? Like, look, again, like I, I, I never, you know, got to your level in terms of like, you know, athletic level. But I, I would be the same. Playing hockey as a kid, I trained with all the teams in the city. I turned up to everybody's training sessions mm. three, four times a week. My mum and dad would be driving me around all over the place, yeah. you know, because yeah, yeah. I wanted to be good and I wanted to train. Something I'm hearing what what you're saying though is is as I'm kind of thinking who you are now today. Do you think that's giving you a confidence? Because I think this way a little bit. You, you can do a lot of different things. Like you, you can apply yourself to anything, and have some sort of success in most things. Yeah, because without being unrealistic. It, it, no, no, know? no. Because it, it requires the same principles. Because people you know? say say to me all the time that they're like, oh, you know, you oh, you must be born to do hair. I'm like, I don't think I am. I think my gift is knowing how to learn, knowing how to develop a process and knowing how to get from A to B mm-hmm. reverse engineering reverse engineering and, and, and knowing how hard to work to yeah, get there that's and my, the relentlessness that's of it that's my gift and I am relentless yeah me and, too uh, and I think I'm hearing that in your story there mm. and I could kind of relate to that as well you know obviously yeah. not to the same athletic level but it's 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 a mindset that you can develop yeah 100% and if and, that, uh, I think if something that's not developed early it's hard to develop it in your adult life because so many other things come along Action responsibilities and you know people don't people don't act like that when you're getting older you know it's all about not being like that you know yeah 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 it's the, it's the yeah it's kind of what's shaped me to be who I am today yeah all of these experiences and people telling me that you know you're not good enough or you can't do this and you can't do that now coming back to my family life my mom and dad were always really good at telling me then I'm amazing at everything. So yeah. they instilled that confidence in me. Yeah. My mom especially was so loving towards me yeah. that no matter what somebody told me, I didn't believe it. Wow. I was like, no. So even now, if somebody t- tells me you can't be men's hairdresser of the year, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Watch me do That's it just then. That's your opinion. You know, like, That's an opinion. No, know? but like I'll do it then. Like yeah, and I'll work harder than anyone else, and I'll do the extra ten percent. Yep. Because that's what ultimately counts. Yep. Um, nobody could have predicted me getting to the team that I was at and that last year. No. Looking at the results of my 
races growing up as a child you would never have picked that guy to be to be where I got to yeah amazing and it was more of a mentality like there was a time in 2014 I think it was on the Irish national team where in certain races I was almost given like that road captain role because I was the most level headed like I was the, the biggest I guess team player in the team I would help other people I was very willing to help other people mm-hmm. um, because I knew if I do that that's how I can actually sustain a career in, in the in the cycling industry because I wasn't super talented at anything I wasn't a great sprinter I wasn't a great climber I wasn't a great time trialist I was just an all-rounder yeah. kind of a bit like that with hair too a that's, bit more of an all-rounder like that's an amazing like capacity to have at that age mm. I wasn't like that I don't think I was very one track you know yeah so like stuck in my own lane cycling is is it's much more of a team sport than people think mm. you know like obviously you're cycling your own bike <laughs> but yeah it's much more of a team sport like we have team leaders and i would have had to go back to the car get bottles for them look after them make sure that everything was okay and they were in the best possible position all day they weren't getting hit from the wind at any singular time crazy look there's almost too much to get into about cycling would, would you all rotate on that would they do that for you too if the terrain suited your capabilities yeah or if you were in a particular stage of good form so like say for example if I was on really good form and I was getting good results in races and like you know you have almost seasons of form like you might have six to eight weeks where you're just really you're flying fire, like yeah. yeah yeah you're going good and then you might have another six to eight weeks of nothing and that's one thing about cycling right like and I think this is what's developed my mindset too you work super hard six months before the season it's a, it's a full time job and you might only get one to two pieces of grat- gratification mm-hmm. throughout the whole year and that's what you work for is that one to two pieces of gratification coming back to the pivotal moments thing like I can remember less than a handful of times where I've been really happy after a race yeah. and even then you're still not even that happy. That, but that's, that shows why you are the way you are today and the yeah. same with me, you know? But all, we don't all, celebrate anything. All I need we, to we know... We really don't celebrate anything. All I need to know... Like, just tell me once. Yeah. Did I do it good? Yep. Okay. Thanks. On to the next thing. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't need... That's it. It's the same with all, all that process growing up. You know, you get those small moments of gratification and then boom, it's on to the next thing. I don't need that to like sit and wallow in it and you know yeah yeah that, that explains a lot it does it does and i think the re- the required amount of effort for the result that you get is incomparable yeah and i think that's why you really have to enjoy the process of what you're doing yeah. every day that's why i love training oh, at the time in cycling i love training because it was it, it was problem solving it was ticking boxes and i just loved it i was like yeah I'm happy. I could do my three or four hours, tick all the numbers that I needed to do on the computer because we used to ride with computers. I'd see all the numbers that I wanted to see and then I could be si- I could sit down, I could put my legs up and I could be happy at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. And I'm still that way today. Um, but moving back to the when I turned um, professional for that year, I knew in the first race that I wasn't going to continue. Right. What what happened? What what happened in your mind? We were in a race in France. It was called GP Marseille. So it was in Marseille in France. And it was February 
in France. So it was about two degrees, three degrees, very cold. And the race started, and this was a, a big race. So it was like with guys who ride the Tour de France, like a big race. And we went up this mountain at the beginning. It was like a 10 kilometer climb. And I was like, all right, like, yeah, it was rapid. Like it was so rapid, like it was crazy. I was like really suffering, like in the red zone straight away. I was like, holy fuck, this is crazy. And then I got to the top of the climb. I was still in the, the group, which was still a peloton at this stage because obviously everyone was fairly fresh. And I looked around and I thought, yeah, got over the climb, doing great. Looked around, there's like two people behind me. And I'm like, fuck, and all the cars. I was like, I thought I was on good form too. No. You're at the back of the pack. Different level. <laughs> Absolutely different level. Yeah. Same thing happened a few days later. That was a one-day race. Two days later, we started a five-day race. Um, and first couple of stages of that, I was just getting my ass handed to me, man. Did anybody warn you about that? Did anybody tell you it might be like that? Yeah, but like I, I thought I was going okay because we did our training camps. Yeah. And these boys had been at that level in the previous years and higher. And I was able to hold my own in the, in the training camps. Okay, okay. No, we'd, we'd do race simulations. We'd do all sorts of things at training camp. Yeah. And I thought I was all right, like, you know, but then maybe I just did too much. I think I might have overcooked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Overtrained a little. Overtrained. Burnt out. Not enough recovery. We've been talking about that a lot lately, haven't we? You imagine if you put in different recovery protocols and things like that. Not enough recovery. Would have been different. Not enough recovery. So then that kind of was a setback in my mindset from the very start of the season. It didn't give me much confidence going forward in my cycling career. Mm. At that time, that's when the identity crisis started. Yeah, for me, and it was it was an identity crisis. I'm I'm not gonna lie, it, it was 100. Yeah. percent How many had, years had it been? Like, because you must have had a good run. Like, it was before you got to this point where you yeah. started to wobble a bit in the mind. You know, no. So like before that, the, the year before that, at amateur level, or it was it's more semi-professional at that point because I was still doing it full time. Yeah, but. Technically, it's seen as amateur. I was very competitive in Belgium. Like, yeah. I was top tenning in races all the time, which is a high level yeah, of amateur yeah. racing. This ain't just riding down the street, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> this is like this is like a three to four hour bike race at 40 to 45, sometimes pushing up towards 50 kilometers an hour average speed. Wow. Over What's your heart time. rate average on this stuff? Like 160 to 180 <sighs> BPM for four hours. That's ridiculous. It's, it's outrageous. Like... We were high-performing athletes. Like that's something that people don't understand. When I say oh, I was a cyclist, oh, that was nice. Like yeah. you know, as if I used to cycle down to the I fucking shop. It's a jolly down the. Down no, the lake. no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. I this was some serious shit. Just you know? think about that as well. Like that heart rate, you would have been conditioned to that heart rate too. Mm? Someone else pushing the way you were, they might have been up 180, 200. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. I used to train to heart rate threshold to one thirty five, one thirty. Yeah, yeah. Well, my max was around the two hundred. How quick I used to get used to that. Yeah, I'd have you know be on the treadmill, say I was prepping for a competition or something. I could just do a, a quite brisk walk to get up to one thirty five at one point. Then I'd have to start jogging in the end to get myself to one forty. I'm doing a slow run, mm. and, and how conditioned you would have been to pushing at one sixty. That's yeah. someone else's two hundred. Yeah, yeah. Like my base like, level of of heart rate was like. 140 BPMs like when I was just riding um, that's ridiculous that's for like 6 hours 7 hours hours on end yeah wow but like I could do wow but then I, I got to one point where I was living in Gran Canaria I think that's like a, a something I should touch on in a minute too um, when I finished school I went to Gran Canaria 
and that's when I started my full-time cycling journey yeah I remember again meticulous in my training had no internet over there I was living with my granddad he was there for six I was there for about six months he had an apartment there I lived there with him meticulous in everything I was doing eating really well sleeping really well reading books no wi-fi it was almost like a bit of a, yeah. a bit of rehab almost yeah, like a, yeah i used to go on the internet 30 minutes a day in the cafe right before we went to dinner yeah and i remember at one point there my heart rate being 36 it was around 36 to 38 beats a minute resting, resting heart rate, rate. Whoa. yeah 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 that's low yeah it was very low they, they say um is it between 40 and 60 Mm. on the lower end of that 40 is like yeah athlete level so yeah, to yeah. Be 36 to 38 is outrageous yeah yeah so like but that's that's what I was like I was a high wow. I, was in, I was a high performance athlete you know yeah um, and it's just the mindset that I've taken from that and I think you know even that six month period of my life living with my granddad so that was a really pivotal moment in my life you know living with him for that six months and I think I developed a lot of my habits going forward from there and I it's just funny now when I speak to people and they're like oh I used to cycle and I never get into it because it's just too long it's too much to yeah it's too much to talk about it's too long yeah so yeah that kind of continued so the season in 2015 was my last season as a as a cyclist um and that was it I kind of started I wrapped up my career Mm. what was the what was the feelings at the end so were you happy or were you, was it bittersweet or so at the start of the season yeah I, I pretty much noticed straight away that I wasn't cut out for it yeah I had to have that realisation the identity crisis started I was like oh well I've built my identity now to be a cyclist nobody knows me for anything else mm. this is what I said I was going to do in school this 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 all these things were creeping in and I was like yeah. oh fuck I failed here you yeah. know but ultimately my mental health started to take a toll um, and I could see it around me too you know I could see around me all my teammates there was a trend where they were all quite depressed yeah and I was like I don't want to get to that stage you see as well like I, I, I talk about it I say you know putting the blinkers on like that and being so one track mind is, is the blessing and the curse it's a curse because you just don't see anything else outside of what you do and you become that thing mm-hmm you know, like I, I said it in a class a while back, it's like I'm trying to focus on if if hair was taken away from me tomorrow, what's left? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't just want to be hair. No, no. You know, and I think that that's what happened, that probably what happened a bit there, wasn't it? You, yeah. You became, yeah. you just were the cyclist. And I guess when you're... To strip it back, you're like, whoa. And I guess <laughs> when you're young, you don't really have any other plans because that's what you're set out to do. You yeah. know, like you're, that's your dreams, you know? But fortunately enough for me, I had achieved my dreams at that point. Yeah. I had raced with the people who I have posters of them in my bedroom at home. Yeah. And next thing you know, there I am standing next to them on the start line of a race. Crazy. So that's taught me how you can visualize something, want something, and if you work hard enough for it, you can get it. You can get it. So that's what cycling taught me. I got to the team that I wanted to get to. I tested it out. I saw the level. I saw what was required. Did I have it? I just physically didn't have it. Like I, my genetics didn't allow it for it. Yeah. I think at a certain point, genetics do come into it too. Yeah. You know, you can work as hard oh, as you 100%. want. At a sport like that, there's only so much oxygen you can pump to your blood before. Have you seen uh, Breaking Two? Have you no. seen that? No. So they take some of the fastest marathon runners and they mm-hmm. try to get them to break the two-hour marathon. 
Yeah. And that Kenyan guy, he's like the favorite to do it. Yeah. And they were going through their training. They tried to use the best scientific, scientifically proven training methods. They're all hooked up to machines. They're like getting them on a treadmill. They're measuring their efficiency from one shoulder to the other, you know, every mm-hmm. step. And they were saying there's a point where it's, it is the genetically gifted people that end up winning. Yeah. If you train them in the right way and they related it to VO2 max. And yeah. I, that's I, the same I used to love, yeah. I used, I used to, to get linked up to the machines all the time. Yeah. I used to love thinking about and learning about VO2 max. Mm. And what they said was your VO2 max is your VO2 max. You can't get a bigger VO2 max, no. but you can work to the threshold that you have. Yeah. So if your VO2 max is bigger than mine, there's no way I can get your VO2 max. Yeah. I can push to my threshold if, if you're only pushing to a little bit and I'm, I'm pushing to my threshold, yeah, I might be better mm. than you at that point, but you have the potential to go past me. Yeah. And yeah. that's just genetics. You can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't do you that. You can't change that. And it's like, yeah. you can see a lot of the people who are really good at cycling, their parents were cyclists or their parents were Olympians or athletes or whatever, mm. right? Like it uh, runs in the family. You passed on some sort of genetic um, capabilities. Yeah, my yeah. parents never did any sport. Yeah. Nothing, like zero sport. Right, right. So like, that was all just trained into me. Yeah, and like when we did them tests in the lab with the VO2 max mine was like 70 like low 70s mm. now the high performance athletes the ones that win the Tour de France and stuff are low level 80 so that's a whole 10 points above above yeah so I didn't have it I just didn't have it crazy I, I didn't have it yeah. and I came to realise that I didn't have it and again the whole thing about quitting is for winners it got to a certain point where you're in such a bubble but once you step out of that bubble and you realize that life can be different in a different avenue of life or you know you can start to kind of shape your life in a different way it's very hard to go back into that bubble yeah. you just can't it's impossible so like i was having bad accidents that's another big part of cycling that is very rough you know you have bad accidents you get bust up yeah i remember i had one particularly bad accident about a month into my first season and I was sitting at home for about four or five weeks with my leg up in the air because I'd bust my ankle really bad. Wow. And when you're sitting there and you're having that reflective time to yourself and you can't ride the bike, you can't do the things that you can normally do, you start to go inward and you're like, yeah. what am I other than a cyclist? Yeah. Other than cycling, what do I have to show for myself? And what if the next accident is the worst one mm. so from there like not even the worst one but like one that could really damage you Just going forward because yeah, yeah. I've had teammates that they've lost like they've had brain damage they've wow. lost their sense of taste their sense of smell wow. from hitting their head so many times yeah. it's like nah I'm not doing that no way I'm doing that I'm not Thanks. compromising the, the, <laughs> the longevity of my life because yeah. even a good cycling career can only get you into your early 30s so it's like I knew that that so that crash happened right the first race back about six weeks later another crash happened oh, same thing same injuries same process we won't get into the details i had a bit of a, a crisis at that time went on a bit of a session right after the crash did some dumb shit and lost like three days worth of memory of my life and that was a turning point for me when I got yeah. home and I realized what had happened I was like this is toxic I need to get out yeah and I was like I want to be the one to make the decision yeah because I knew from there I was like okay how am I going to pick the pieces up this is the first three four months of the season really important in terms of form building and getting racing time in the yeah. legs 
I didn't have it. I was injured. I was spent most of it sitting around. I was like, I'm not getting back to full form until next year, really. Realistically, that's how long the process is. So that means I'm not going to get a contract mm-hmm. on this team. And I was like, do I want to be scurrying around and begging people for a contract on another team? That's not how I want to live my life. I don't want to be begging for anything. Yeah. Because I value myself more than that. So I was like, I want to be the one to make the decision. And I went and cut a long story short, I just announced my retirement and without even speaking to my team. My team manager at the time was another one who had zero consideration for for me as a person. I was sending emails that were borderline suicidal at the time. Yeah, wow. And got no response. Yeah. Imagine that these days. It's a fucking joke. And I didn't Yeah. At the time look let's not get into it too deeply yeah there's a lot in that isn't it there's a lot in it there's you a lot in think it. why he was that way too you know, yeah and it's not necessarily his fault it's not necessarily his fault right because yeah, yeah, yeah. I've sent him a message recently I've got over it right? Right, right recently enough I sent him a message and I said look because I got back cycling throughout lockdown last year and I was doing a bit more of it and when I'm on the bike obviously it brings back memories yeah. and I've I've gotten past it and I texted him and I said thank you so much for the opportunity thanks like really thank you because if I didn't get that opportunity I'd never be happy and I wouldn't be where I am today yeah and the growth yeah and like understanding that the magnitude of what he was doing at the time it was a fucking hard thing to do running a cycling team like that yeah dealing with that many people trying to keep sponsors trying to, it was yeah. a high pressure environment sport is a business and that's what we were talking about earlier people forget that sport is a business the emotions of sport yep. take over but ultimately it's business yeah and I was just too young too naive at the time to think that and I was like you know what fuck this I'm retiring I'm going to put it on a Cycling Ireland website or it was the Irish Cycling News website or whatever I'm going to reach out to them I'm going to say I'm done I'm retired it made for juicy gossip at the time it was great (laughs) Um, but that was it man like I just said fuck this I'm I'm going to do something if I'm going to do something and put this much effort into it I want to be really good at it I want to be happy I'm the same today exactly the same today yeah. I think that that's a really good thing um, I heard Stephen ask somebody one time it was a CEO of like a, a really big company I think it was a company like Monza in the UK which is like an alternative banking company mm. this guy was like a billionaire and he said throughout all of what you did did you ever stop to think if you were happy mm. and the guy said no I didn't because mm. growing up I think for me and it sounds like for you you might sound like you're a bit better at it than me but like if you were happy or not wasn't part of the conversation like getting the end goal and the satisfaction was just meant to make you happy mm. you know whereas like we've learned to be happy in the process now yeah the result is what's seen to be making you happy and I think you know what it's interesting having this conversation because there are certain things I'm kind of uncovering now about myself that I didn't even fully realise as to why I am the way I am another thing is like I can say it because my mom's brother is probably not going to listen to this so my mom's brother he's a farmer dairy farmer very successful dairy farmer I remember one time being I, I'd left school at this point I was full time cycling obviously that's hard for an Irish family to understand right like mm, no idea they don't see that as a no. as a safe <laughs> career choice right that's not a viable option no and I sat I was sitting at my aunt's house 
and my my uncle even though if he might have been joking he might not have been joking right i don't know but he turned to one of my cousins and said oh you better keep studying in school now or you'll end up like your cousin Owen." you know uh, said that about you yeah wow so that's horrendous that for me is more fuel for the fire yeah, when it's like you just don't need to say don't say those things to me. Nah, don't you don't need to say that to me. Yeah, that's not gonna affect me in a negative way. No, and it's funny as fuck because the, the moment I signed a professional contract, he was all about me. You know. Yeah. And now, like even what I'm doing now, it's like it's continued into doing things at a, a higher kind of capacity, and like it's just I don't even have to explain myself now don't have no. to explain that but it's these things these people telling me over the years nah this that the other it's, it's a proving people the wrong thing but it's mostly proving to myself that I can do it yeah that's what it is do you feel like that's where you're at these days yeah and that's where I think it's more proving to myself that I can prove them wrong to a degree okay you know yeah yeah I think so yeah it's interesting for me sort of you know growing up I think my parents are very much like yours. They encouraged me and told me, uh, I think there's a double-edged sword here. I was good at a lot of the things that I did growing up. Whether that was a subconscious thing and I just chose to do things that I was good at in the early stages. Mm. You know, like I played hockey. I was always good on roller skates and stuff like that. So maybe I just gravitated towards it. Maybe my brain was like, well, you're good at that. Don't go and play that. Don't go play tennis because you're better at that. Mm. Um but yeah, I was always told that, you know, congratulated for being good at things mm-hmm. growing up. I was never told the opposite. No. Yeah, and, and me too. Like, I I just feel like I was always a bit maybe overlooked, you know? Yeah. Which allowed me to kind of work harder in the shadows. Yeah. And then the compounding effect came into play. Yeah. You know, the consistency in my work ethic and dedication and resilience. And I had that kind of almost a bit of animosity towards mm. certain people and I was like I'm going to fucking show that guy you know yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and I even got that with hair there's a story I'll tell you about that in a sec when I started cutting hair um, but let's go, yeah should we get onto that part yeah so, so, I, uh, so, so you ended your so, so the, the, the cycling's over yeah um, do you feel like you're still in a bit of identity crisis once the cycling was over or was it a clean slate no it was it was still a bit up in the air I didn't know what I was going to yeah. do I started experiencing parting for the first time so yeah. this I'm like 21 at this point right very ever rarely drank yeah. never partied missed out missed out I'm saying this if people are listening um, in inverted commas because I didn't actually miss out on anything you know no. people would always say to me oh did you feel like you missed out on like the college life and the partying and this yeah. and that I went to college I went and visited my mates in college and I watched their behaviour and I watched the people that they hung around with and their behaviour and I just thought what a bunch of fucking losers so, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry like, no, if, if, I, if I'm going totally to offend totally if I'm going to offend anybody I went to a college house party once and there was kids there ripping toilets out of the ground punching holes in walls wow. and doing all sorts of mad shit and I was thinking this is so disrespectful to their shit. parents because right. like, at that point right I was about 18, 19 at that time once or, once or twice a year I used to go out because I'd come home I'd be in my off season it was okay for me to go out at that time so I did I experienced them times and I d- realised I didn't I wasn't missing out on anything Anything. I was actually in the university of life yep. you know figuring things out that actually mattered yep. you know 
I remember going to one of my college friends houses once and she had a fucking box and she used to put all her dirty dishes into the box and bring them home for her mom to clean them oh, at the weekend no. that's the worst <laughs> I was just I, I was astounded I could, and here I am yeah the you Maca- spent all these no, years but here I am bro like the McCarthy who gets yeah. everything handed to him on the golden platter and yeah. there's kids there doing that couldn't believe it yeah. blown mind blown yeah um so I didn't miss out on anything. If anything, they missed out on what I was doing. Yeah. I had the real life experience. They missed out on that development. Yeah. That there's, development. there's stuff that happened within that four years of my cycling career. Even places that I went to, vi- places I visited, beautiful, beautiful places yeah. and experiences that you can't buy, simply just can't buy them. Um, so I didn't feel like I missed out on anything. But when I finished, yeah, the identity crisis thing was kind of there for momentarily, but then I found hair pretty quickly, thank God. Um, and when I did discover hair, I noticed pretty quickly that there was quite a big community and lots of places you could take it. And that kind of relit the fire for me. I was like, okay, now I can start again, you know? It's like being back at the start of cycling and chasing something bigger. But in between, funny story actually, I, I went and interviewed for um, for Emirates to oh, be wow. a cabin crew. Yeah. And uh, the reason why I did that is because when I finished cycling, I was like, what am I going to miss out on? Like, that I have as a cyclist, what am I going to miss? And the traveling aspect of things was something that I always thought, all right, yeah, I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss traveling the world for, for free, technically, seeing places, blah, blah, blah. I thought that was very important to me at the time. So I was like, how can I travel for free, see the world? And my cousin worked at Etihad at the time, so I saw her life and where she was going, and I was yeah. like, this is cool. They get good money, they get put up in Abu Dhabi or Dubai. You know, I would probably be one of the only guys there. So I would get to meet girls. And at the time, I'd barely ever... I hadn't had a girlfriend really at that point. In school, I had a girlfriend the last year. Um, but it was kind of half and half. I didn't really care too Who much. Not Not really. Like, I was too focused on my own journey. Yeah. Um, and getting to where I wanted to be. And like, she understood. She was cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man. Um, interviewed for... Emirates got the job they realised deeper so basically it was like an X Factor interview it was really funny it was actually <laughs> really you sing? no <laughs> almost but it was really funny it was like an X Factor audition people were breaking down on their knees crying when they didn't get it and this and that and wow I was the only guy who got in out of about 80 people yeah so I got in I got the call from Dubai usually when you get the call that's when they want you over there so I went in with this no fucks attitude, right? And got it. Even me doing that interview was an experience because it it's just an experience. I was like, I knew yeah. I knew at that time that I wanted to cut hair. So I didn't really have to do the interview. I just was like, you know what, I've committed to this. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna suss it out. See, I might meet right. some people. It would be a good experience either way. So I went, did it, got it. Eventually they came back and wanted more pictures of my tattoos. At the time I only had a few little tattoos and sent them back and they were like no you don't have the job best thing that's ever happened thank, <laughs> thank god thank it, god for tattoos thank god <laughs> I went and got a sleeve after <laughs> I went and got a half Cover sleeve up. About, about a couple of weeks later I went and got a half sleeve like yeah. not that it was about that but I knew at that time anyway that I wanted to do hair because yeah. I'd started cutting hair I started um, enjoying it mm. I enjoyed the social aspect of it I enjoyed the the same principles as I had in cycling. It was very A to B. You know, you get your result. 
you start a haircut you finish a haircut yeah. tick the box A to B happy out at the end of the day come home pocket full of money yeah. had some good interactions yeah. socially it was great for me at the time Yeah. like when I was going out in my hometown you know I'd get a lot of recognition you know people would be getting to know me for who I actually really was that's when people started saying oh you're different to what I thought you were going to be you're alright for a McCarthy like you know mm. people would say that kind of stuff to me you know, sorry to my family if I'm saying anything that I feel like is uh, putting them off but it's not but that's just the generalisation yeah, that we get that given it's, the, it's the label that we get given unfortunately it's the truth you know whether we like it or not it's the truth mm. and um, that went great for the first first year or so started like really building up a good clientele my mom was teaching me at the time and yeah I kind of took to it really quickly to be honest so do you remember the day that you decided to do hair like there must have been a day where you thought okay this is what I'm doing now um I can't particularly remember a specific day but I do remember like having my struggles with it at the start okay what were they like I, I couldn't figure out like why you'd hold the scissors and the third finger yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. weird to me. The comb and the scissors and how to manage that at the beginning was very off-putting. There was days where I was like, oh, fuck this, I'll just go back cycling, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was hard to get the grasp of things. Like, I was always pretty good at my own hair, like styling it and stuff. Mm. Um, and I was always really into it. I probably got worse at that with my own. As the years have gone on, I don't care about that as much anymore because... It's just something I don't care about. I get a hair, I get about. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get a haircut that just does its own thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had all the haircuts growing up, but yeah. I don't particularly remember a day where I said, "Yeah, this is it for me." But I do remember a time where I knew I was going to do it for a long time. Right. So basically, I was about almost a year in. I'm just trying to gather my thoughts here to, to make sure that I tell yeah. the story right. So Get the timeline. <laughs> yeah, so like up to this point, right, I had been cutting hair in my, my mom's salon. I rented a chair off her, built my own clientele. I was doing 70, 80 haircuts a week yeah, in wow. my first year. Smashing them out. Smashing them. One day a week but off. That's, that's absolutely fine in your first year. Yeah. You know, that's... You, but that was like cold turkey. That was cold. I was straight in, like no messing, you know, yeah. like straight in. In that first year, I reckon I put three to four years of work in. But that's great. Practice, yeah. practice, 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 practice. Yeah, it was, it was just non-stop. a year of practice. It was a conveyor yeah. belt of haircuts, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Not knowing if I'm doing things right, doing things wrong. I was doing a barber course at the time as well with Paul Mack in Cork. He taught me how to use the clippers and fade a bit more. And um, the mixture of that and working in the salon really kind of sped up my growth. From there... Um, I started discovering this online world of hair, you know. I started looking on Instagram, seeing people doing stage work, seeing how big the hair industry actually is. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I was amazed by it. I was like, this is sick. There's levels to this too, you know, because yeah. my mom never really got into that. So, like, I never was exposed to it until I got into hair myself. And I started seeing the, the Great British Barber Bash at the time. Yeah. They were doing these big shows, this and that. So, discovered Menswire, 
went to their course. Basically, I was just doing all these different things, right? And at that time, I kind of knew. But I went to the Great British Barber Bash in Manchester a couple of weeks before I came to Australia. Yeah. And that was the day where I was like, hair is for me. Awesome. That Something that really strikes me there is like the vision that you had from so early on. Where do you think that came from? Do you think that came from cycling? Like, because you'd been exposed to how, what a level you can do things. Because I feel like that, for me, early days, I just, I see those people and be like, whoa, just don't even know, I'll, I'll ever get to that, you know? But you almost seemed like you had a certainty, like, yep, yeah. yep that's attainable. Like, Yeah, so like, I went to, from an early age, I, I was very careful, I guess, not an early age, but an early time in my uh, hair career. I was careful about the mentors that I picked mm. so I would look at people who I looked up to and I aspired yeah. to and I would only seek the education from them really your, your journey has not been a conventional journey has it? very unconventional because mine was conventional you know yeah. started at school did the Saturday job got the apprenticeship just now turning the wheels through all that like, mine's very uh, yours are very unconventional and yeah. that, that those things go hand in hand you had a vision with an unconventional process it's very unique. There's and, uh, not many people with your story. No, and when I think about it, like, it might be a bold thing to say, but like, I've probably had one of the fastest growing careers in men's hair ever. Ever. If not, like, who, like, who, who, is, who has done anything close to what I've done in yeah. that time? Yeah. It's a bit nuts to think about it, you know, and it's yeah. nice to reflect about it and think about it in that way yeah. because I don't really get to say it too much. No. Apart from being on a podcast like this, <laughs> this is where we but, can say it though. But don't ever, I, I think, don't ever feel ashamed about, about saying it because there's so much value in it. Yeah, and this is yeah. where you know, like we say, always say, question the blueprint, challenge the status quo. Mm. As long, you know, we always talk about you get we get a bit frustrated with certain things, certain timelines of certain courses and things. But I think as long as the mentorship's good mm. and you've got a really good process of learning and a practice routine. There's no reason why that can't be the new model. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and that's, I think, when I think about my why these days, I want to share my mindset with people to help them in achieving what whatever they want. Because to me, nothing is impossible. Like, no. I know it sounds cliche, right? Like, it's yeah. like a fucking Adidas phrase or something, you know? But nothing is impossible. And no. I went into it with that naivety. We touched on that in the first episode too. My naivety helped me to get to where I'm at because... I didn't I wasn't afraid yeah I think so. but I observed I observed first before I made my moves interesting I've thought about since our first episode when I sort of observed that about you you know thinking that naivety comes from the unconventional way that you got into the industry mm. you know I saw it from a very conventional way you didn't you got open access to your mum's salon and she put you right there mm. straight away it was good amazing. for her to do that too amazing you know like because like that's the thing right I, I didn't have any like in your journey like our, our a lot of hairdressers journeys I didn't sweep the floor or I didn't do any of that nonsense I didn't like have to do that mm. you know because it was a new era and I think you'd already done your floor sweeping no, I'd done <laughs> in a different that. concept yeah different, you know, different, you're cycling news yeah. I'd done all that you put I put that work in work, you know? no I wasn't I wasn't there for that that type of um, behaviour but yeah, I think even the learning from the, the Emirates thing taught yeah. me a bit too. Yeah. It's almost like the less you care sometimes, the more 
the less you care about the outcome yeah or attach yourself to the outcome the more yeah. you're going to get the results so like that time going into the emirates thing didn't care about the outcome very much similar to when we did the andis interview a couple of years later in sydney we were around this boardroom didn't care about the outcome I don't know what came over me that day, but I just had this air of confidence about me. Where I, I was just sat back in the chair. Yeah. I was I was the one answering all the questions. Did you have your shades on as well? I think I might have even had the shades on. When I came into the room, I definitely had the shades wow. on. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was a bit hungover too, probably, at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Relevant. Um, so, yeah. But I didn't care. I didn't really... I did care, but I didn't care. Yeah. You know, it's kind of that letting it's, off it's, that you don't care. Yeah, it's, it, you, it's a pulling from both ends. Yeah. You know? It's the balance. It's, it's, it's the a, balance. It's the EQ you stuff. You do care, but you, you can't care too much. Yeah. You know, it's, you can't it's, it's the pulling, the polarity of pulling from both ends. And yeah. it was the, I learned that from my cycling days too, about like not attaching myself too much to any one thing because I had to change my identity when yeah. I finished cycling. Yeah. So I'm kind of like that now. And yeah, so a bit, let's go back to how I got to kind of that unconventional way of thinking and how it, it's just such a mad story man I, I can't even comprehend it sometimes like even up, <laughs> even up to this point it's like yeah. fucking hell I've lived like three or four lives at yeah. this point yeah you know well, um, I, I used to explain my story to people um, you know say in the first like 10 years of my career and they'd be like oh my god you've done so much yeah like going from leaving home to this to to visas to awards to this to this to this, this. Mm. it's like moving to there to there to there to this mm. it's like yeah you live a lot of lives like the experience you build yeah crazy yeah and that's why I feel maybe misunderstood sometimes too right 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 because you know? it's like nobody knows the full extent it's like the iceberg people don't see the bit underneath nobody knows the full, <laughs> the full extent of what, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. what I've gone through but anyway in that first year went to all these courses worked my ass off worked really hard and my mom entered me into Barber Apprentice of the Year in Ireland came to Australia got a call a couple of days later and I had won it oh wow I won t- 2016 Irish Barbering yeah. Apprentice of the Year and to me that was me qualified you know I was Amazing. qualified then I, I did my qualification in one year yeah I was happy um but to just slightly backtrack on that, how I got to Australia, I went to the menswear course. And this is another thing, right? Like this is if you don't ask the questions, you don't get the answers. This is a great one. So I went to the menswear course in Dublin. Glenn and Josh ran the course. Josh had just been in Australia, not that long before, maybe about a month before. And now that I was finished my cycling career, I had the first opportunity to come to Australia and visit my cousins. So my cousin was getting married later in the year. So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to Australia. Maybe I will stay there for maybe six months to a year and then come back and I'll run my business at home. Because to me, I had a good business going. I could see into the future, very safe, very secure, had all my clients, but really it was capped. And I vividly remember one day walking around our local lap that me and my mom would do nearly every morning. We'd go for a walk. And I got to this point where it's like the highest point and you look out over the town. And I looked over the town and I said to my mom, I was like, there has to be more than this. Mm. There just has to be more than this for me. Like I've outgrown it already one year and I've already reached my maximum capacity. Yeah. How much more can I charge? 
am I happy doing the work? No, I was like, what I need to do now is I need to do the stuff that I felt like I missed out on during my cycling career. I need to go to Australia, I need to visit my cousins, I need to travel, and I need to just explore for a little while. Yeah. And I can take my skill that I now have and apply that, because at the time I thought I was great at cutting hair. I thought I was amazing, you know? Like I was fully booked, all this stuff. But I always had a bigger vision in mind, you know? And like, I would act that way too. Like, so at the time... I would follow Gary V a lot and he more or less taught me my principles of marketing and how to like get clients and how to do all this stuff right and then I was also seeing people on Instagram from around the country um, like the guys from JFH Neil Toner Mickey Graham they were great love Neil and what he's doing now it's amazing um, Ryan Cullen at the time you know all the boys from the Barber Bash Men's Choir like, watching what they were doing online I was like, all right, well, like this is the blueprint. If I can kind of follow it somehow and do my own, put my own spin on it, then it'll work. So I started using Snapchat and marketing my work through Snapchat. Really? Yeah, and it was funny, right? Like I was out one night. This is a funny story. So I was out one night, and this girl came up to me in my hometown, and she says, "Oh, on McCarthy, like." who the fuck do you think you are all over Snapchat like you think you're Kanye West or something like <laughs> you won't, You only cut hair oh wow <laughs> we've so I, that one <laughs> I was like alright okay I was like and what do you do she's like oh, I'm studying law I'm going to be a lawyer I'm like alright so you're going to defend rapists yeah and people who like kill yeah, people essentially so like where's your moral compass at you know first and yeah. foremost to be coming at me like that and I was like plus like who cares like I probably made more money than you today anyway yeah you know yeah. She's like, what? No, no way. Cutting hair. You can't make money cutting hair. I was like, all right, whatever you think. How much money did you make today? She said, I was like, I don't know, like 200 euros. Yeah. No way. That's like 200 euros is a lot. Like, you yeah. know, imagine making 200 pounds in a day. In a day. Yeah. Like, everything was going into my pocket. Like, it was almost you know? a week wage at that time. Yeah. Mental, right? Anyway, long story short, I took my phone out at the time and I recorded her saying it. I was like, can you just say that again? You know, everything you just said, please. She was like, yeah. Oh, McCarthy, you think you're Kanye West? Right, she went on with it. <laughs> and I kept that video. And I was like, I went home that night and I just, I sent her a message, I blocked her. But I blocked her after. I sent her a message first and I was like, you can no longer be part of this journey, but thanks for the fuel or something like that. Wow. And I just blocked her. And I remember being here for about two or three years two years into maybe my, my journey here in Australia I unblocked her again and uh, she might have seen some stuff she might have not who cares but it's just sometimes you just need that little bit of yeah. somebody to hate on you yeah. you know to exactly. push you a little bit further um, but that's that, that's just a funny story but like yeah so I went to the men's wear course right coming back to that sorry I just keep getting sidetracked it's just so many elements to this story but this is what it's all about coming back to the men's wear part I was at their course and during the lunch break I asked Josh how's Australia and he was like loved it absolutely loved it and I was like I'm thinking about going there you know like I've been looking into some jobs at the time I was looking at jobs in Culture Kings and a few places like that I didn't have a clue where, I was, where yeah, to look so I was talking to a few different people and Josh said well I've actually got a place that I can recommend you to go and I think it would really suit you and, and your interests. And I was like, cool. So he pulled the phone out and I watched him type the message to Jordan. Wow. 
who's the owner of area and asked him so when you know are you still looking for staff Jordan said yeah the next question was when can you get there I was like give me six weeks I need six weeks to be able to just wrap things up yeah you know let a lot of people down because all my clients were just so happy with what was going on they were so happy with their trims all this right like even my family and everything I just needed six weeks because I was like all right I'm off again you know up to this point 17 to 21 I was away back home for one year and I was like I'm off again again. but I was always like I'll come I'll go for six months and then I'll come back and I'll set up I'll maximum one year whatever right so initially I'd planned to go at the end of the year but then I was given like a six week notice you know so I was like all right fuck it, you just got to take this opportunity when it comes. You can't turn any opportunity down, especially when it's coming from somebody like Josh, you know? Yeah. Um, so thanks, Josh, for that. And six weeks later, I was in Australia. And it was funny. I always had this way of visualizing things and making things happen. I remember the very first day I got here, I was walking down Flinders Street, and there was a big poster next to Flinders Street Station, and it was the Justin Bieber Purpose World Tour. And I remember looking at that poster and thinking, I'm going to do that. I'm going to cut the hair at that. Because I saw a guy in Ireland do it for them when they were in Ireland. So I was like, I'm going to somehow figure out how to make that happen. Wow. And I would go around telling people that that was going to happen. When I was when I was drinking and stuff, I like to my Irish friends at the time, I, I'm going to cut the hair to Justin Bieber tour. And they were like, yeah, right. <laughs> As if, you know. You put it out there six months into my journey in Melbourne boom there we were backstage cutting hair Justin Bieber watching the concert next to his grandparents now for me at that time six months into my journey here doing something that big and I grew up loving Justin Bieber thinking like you know he was God like you know sick kind of like <laughs> and uh, I was a bit past that. That was a little bit older than that. But, but like, <laughs> yeah, I always had the respect, you know, because like people would always just talk shit on him, but they really, again, just haters. Yeah. Um, but to get to be that close and to cut like the people that close to him, and like, I never got to cut his hair, of course, but like, just to even be there and be in that environment and see how Jordan was acting at that time in that environment too really inspired me to be able to think you know what anything is possible here he's so good in those situations oh it's nuts it's nuts um, but yeah when I came to area it was a rude awakening for sure I thought <laughs> I thought I was really good here I was Irish barbering apprentice of the yeah, year yeah. coming in you know hot shot feeling myself yeah. and I was quickly humbled I was around an amazing team touched on this in the first episode too Jordan Danny Aloy Yella I spent a lot of time with Yella too Yella was one of my biggest influences I think because me and him started at a similar time and we were growing a clientele together so there was a lot of time in the shop where we weren't busy Mm -hmm. and we could talk about hair and he really inspired me a lot in terms of my finishing and styling and keeping things natural Um, so that really allowed me to grow being in that environment and it was a sink or swim situation much like cycling right you kind of rise to the level or you don't yeah and I, I love being that little bit 
I, I love reaching for something because there's only one yeah. place you can go from when you're at the top yeah. you know if you're at the very top of the ladder where do you go from there you either maintain your position there or you go down one step of the ladder and there's always somebody waiting to try and get to that next step right I always say so, there's always someone lurking in the shadows so I just worked as hard as I possibly could and put everything into it and at the same time when I my first couple of years in Australia I really enjoyed them my mate Matt moved over after a couple of months he joined me we had such an amazing couple of years made up for all that last time <laughs> in my cycling career of my, my of partying and that and then you know even within that time when I was enjoying myself I was still really kicking goals like yeah. you know I was doing a lot of stuff like when we went to Hair Expo came out of that Hair Expo where we met you and I was just handed this title of Global Educator for Andes wow you know it's like Andes were putting together an education team and that's how my education journey started do you want to to trial for it I was like yeah Josh came over from Menswire that year Josh and Charlie the first ever time I cut hair on stage in front of people I was next to, to Naz the streets barber and Josh LaMonica wow wow now at the time <laughs> they had the microphones and I didn't yeah thank god thank god <laughs> thank god but I was shaking man I was like oh my god like no, but no. at the same time I was like alright well if this is the person that you visualise yourself being and want yeah. to do this stuff then just step into it do it take the opportunity and see if you like it or not yeah. and I did and just were really happy they wanted to invite us to do uh, a meeting the next day went to the meeting that's when I had that confidence yeah yeah and came out of it did the whole process that they asked us to do and ended up becoming a global educator for them wow and that's when it was like wow okay anything's really possible over like here a bomb drop there like whoa yeah okay, <laughs> okay. Well, but like at that point it was nothing but a title because I didn't have the work put into being an educator at that point I was kind of thrown into the deep end and then it was up to me to work myself up to earning that title yeah and now three years in to being an educator for them three to four years in I really feel like worthy like my worth in in being yeah. an Andes educator now is high in Australia mm -hmm. for sure and across the world they're using my stuff for all yeah. all over magazines and rightly so you know I think it's it's interesting man so that's how the education journey started. Um, we spoke about all the competition work yesterday, you know, being a competitive person and this and that. Like for me, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm overly competitive in terms of like I'd hate to see someone else winning. No way. I don't mind. I'm more competitive with myself mm. and stimulating myself and keeping myself moving forward. I think the competition work brought out a different side of my creativity mm. and gave me something to work towards which I really liked and and it was Danny and Jordan really pushed it at the time that we did the competition work and I remember going to my first ever hair competition after that one where we met mm. the first HBA and we took out everything me Danny and Jordan it was just, it was just the three of us yeah. at area at the time and we took out first and second in every wow. category and salon of the year and we were just like, like whoa. <laughs> it was such a buzz, man. It was so crazy. It was so, so fun, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And to feel part of that and like, I can't, like it really helped my, my levels of like knowing, even that day before doing the cuts and stuff that I did, I was like, all right, here you are now. You're representing like what is seen as Man United, you know? Yeah. 
or at least that's what we thought yeah at the time this was before we had any recognition really and uh yeah you gotta make it happen you gotta either step up or or you're, you're gonna just slip away into the shadows so we stepped up took it and from there it just kept going after that in that year so 2016 I won Irish Barbering Apprentice of the Year 2017 I won Victorian Barber of the Year went to the Australian final fucked up and <laughs> lost but what happened was in the Australian final this is a funny story I don't really care but in the Australian final they took out one of the categories so it was a scissor cut right there was a scissor cut category yeah which I thought was one of my strengths they took it out and replaced it with hair art oh, so like no. doing designs and you had to replicate something. So you couldn't come up with your own thing. You had to replicate something. Now, to me, yeah, it does assess skill, but it's just a bit unfair. Because mm. the guy who won, I ended up beating him in the Victorian. Yeah, true. I, I beat him in the Victorian in South Australian, but he was just really good at hair art. Yeah. And I did something that looked like a fucking toddler did it. <laughs> it was awful. John Oliver Craig. It was so <laughs> awful, man. Oh my god, it was embarrassing. I, but I can't like, do hair art. But I don't care. I don't. I didn't want to do it anyway. Like, no, no. I and at a certain point into it, I remember I did the first three categories, and the judges, one of the judges, was like, kind of gave me the the nod of approval, and he was like, "Just keep doing what you're doing," you know. Got to that, and it just crumbled, you know. Mm. But I, I didn't, I didn't care, right? That was just another lesson. Yeah, another journey, a lesson but along the journey. You wouldn't want to be known to be the guy to be the best at hair art, though. You know that that was probably wasn't your aim, was it? No, no. And look, it was just even to win the competition wasn't my aim either. It was just something that was, it's just something we were doing that year. Yeah. And to win the Victorian, I think when I won that, that was another pivotal moment in my career, and it was like Danny was really proud of me at the time. Um, he was really like influential in my career, and still is, and. Um, yeah, it kind of just all kept spiraling from there. I feel like every week and every day over here in Australia, something is happening for me or for us yeah. as a brand. It's actually astounding. The power of the compounding effect and the consistency and how you work and how your mentality is on a daily basis is what adds up. Not the one or two times that you show up and do a big amount of work and then do nothing for months and just do some bullshit and nonsense. It's the everyday little bits of incremental detail that matter and and that's the big bit that people don't see no is you take you know my journey that we spoke about on the on the other episode your journey we've spoken about today man there's so much compounding going on and now like you say each week is like mm-hmm. getting the cake and eating it you know but but it doesn't come by chance or by luck no and no one's just handing it to us no it's constant work it's still constant work absolutely like, and you know what's interesting like I've got these again pivotal moments when I think about each year so that's 2017 right Victorian Barber of the Year 2018 rolls around about a year later and I get a phone call from Andis hey Owen we want you to come to Shanghai in China to do a <laughs> hair show wow and I'm just like wow yeah that was my response yeah. I was like oh my god <laughs> this is happening <laughs> so I remember being on the balcony in my house at the time in Richmond and I just remember looking out at the city and I was welling up I was like I can't believe that I'm after creating this reality for myself that one of the biggest brands in the world 
wants to fly me to China to do a hair show. Like, how crazy is this? And I hadn't been home to Ireland at this point. So I was over here for nearly two years at that point. Yeah. I hadn't been home to Ireland. I rang my mom and I was like, you'll never believe it. I'm going to China to do a hair show. Like, at that point, I'd done a hair expo in Australia. I had my bit of experience there. The guy from Andes who looks after um, Asia Pacific, he saw me at hair expo and what I was like on stage and stuff. And he was like, yeah, we want him for China. So went to China, but I ended up buying my mom a ticket. I just sent it to her. I was like, check your inbox. Just bought her a ticket to come. So I met her there for the first time in nearly two years. What a gift. And yeah, again, like you said yesterday, it was funny. Who brings her mom to a hair show? But (laughs) to be honest, like that's something that in her career she would have never have seen as possible. Yeah. And she's almost like relighted, like her fire has almost relit through me. Yeah. Like, so her career almost restarted. It was like her. a rebirth when I started cutting hair. Yeah. And she said to me from day one, and this is an amazing thing about my mom, she's like, I was about a year in or two years in, or when she came here, I think first, she was like, you're better than me already. Wow. You know? Yeah. In your own writing, in your own skills, you're already like better than me. You know, and yeah. I was just like, "Wow, like, it's incredible." It's, yeah, and so anyway, that that happened. Went home to Ireland a few weeks later. Came back again a year later, and just asked me to go to China again. Went to China again. Didn't have the best experience that time. Um, won't get into it, but yeah, it was just even to be able to go and get that opportunity to go. And I would go again, you know. I'd go again. I'd take the opportunities. It's just that's the lesson that's in this. You need to take the opportunities when they're there on the table. You just never know what they're going to lead to. And over the course of these couple of years being here, I started building my own personal brand, going to Hair Expo, doing this, doing that. It got to the point where Hair Expo 2019, I got asked to do a seminar this is from showing up for free, right? This is how this happened. Showing up for free, not getting paid to do stuff, doing shows like the um, open mic nights, stuff like that. I remember people asking, are you getting paid for that? And it's like, no. What do you mean? Like, why would I get paid for that? Like, it's literally free advertising. Just showcasing them, yeah. Like, I'm in a room full of two, 300 people who can all be potential clients. I couldn't pay for that to happen. No. So why would I expect to be getting paid where I'm getting paid is now, two or three years later. People don't, people don't see that initially. Yeah. And that's the problem with our industry. It's very um, brick and mortar. You, know? yeah. you do your job and you get your money. You do your job and you get your money. If you're not getting paid for this haircut, then it's not worth doing it. But that, that, that can be the trap of working in a barbershop too or, yeah. or a hair salon. You know, yeah. every minute counts. Like every minute is a dollar and money, 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 money. You know. Yeah, and, and I think if you, you have the bigger picture in mind, yeah, you don't get caught in that. And Jordan's very good with that. Yeah, because he would do the celebrities' hair for free. Yeah. So like in all of this time, yeah, I have got the opportunity to do celebrities' hair. We went to the Justin Bieber concert. We did that. We also did the weekend show, Post Malone. Yeah, all these massive Crazy. shows, right? Crazy. To me. They were the, one of the most eye-opening things because I love music, right? Yeah. And to be backstage at the weekend for me, yeah. wild, nuts. Something price, that it's price, price some, something that people from where I'm from can't get. 
can't get these opportunities very reminiscent of my granddad I, I feel because yeah. coming back to the very start of the story his best friend is a promoter who helped bring Michael Jackson to Ireland wow so he was around that so that's why his mentality was the way that it was mm. abundance the abundance mindset mm. the anything is possible is mindset um, but where were we from there <laughs> just talking about just turning up showing up doing things yeah yeah free, sorry you know? yeah yeah so that's where we were so turning up doing things for free that accumulated to me getting my own spot at hair festival one of five with no brand backing just my name on the education show Unbelievable. and from there it just kind of kept accumulating and accumulating to the point where it's like okay well now we need to set something up we need to do area academy yeah you know i think it was there was a bit of hesitance within the team at certain points whether we should do it whether we shouldn't i don't know why in hindsight it's probably been a good thing it's kind of slowed me down slightly but now i'm more ready but than that, ever. that hesitance again it's that light in the fire mm. it's like yeah it's like, telling, it's like it's like almost somebody telling me can't that i do can't it. and it's yeah. like i'm gonna do it <laughs> you know watch me do it and it's not even a point of like just getting back at them it's like yeah but you don't realize i really want to do this mm-hmm. and i think i can do it well yeah. yeah and i would go to everything this is another thing that people misunderstand is like the observing for years i would go to the things that i wanted to so I would go to things that I wanted to do myself later so like I would go to classes I would go to this I would be the student I would be the shadower I would watch observe learn yeah. and then when the time is right I'll implement but that was the same as me you know how many shows did I come to just watch you do stuff mm. or like just hand you something or be a model for you to cut my hair it's like people don't realise they think oh Lee's just there because he works with Owen no I'm there because that's what I want to do yeah you know and, yeah. and, and alright yeah I, was, I enjoyed helping but it, it, it's it's conditioning your mind to be ready mm-hmm. and, and subliminally you know you're there people see you and eventually they remember you and that's what happened with my opportunity with Andis people already knew who I was the, the guy even said he was like oh I've already seen you work I already know what you can do yeah and I was yeah. like oh okay uh, never spoken to this person before you know I know eventually people know and remember so uh, we I mean we say it's a it's a big piece of advice it's it's priceless but just don't be afraid to turn up and do stuff for free or even just be the guy on the sidelines because mm-hmm. eventually it will pay off yeah exactly but be careful about who you do it with too yes that uh, the the art the trick in it is doing it with the right people yeah and I was always fortunate to be around the good mentors from the very beginning yeah and I was I'm still careful about who I choose just because you got all the awards doesn't mean that I want to be around you, you know? That's yeah. another thing. You might have all oh. the titles, all the awards, all this. If I don't feel inspired by in some other way by your life or just even how people are as people or as a person, yeah. no, nah, can't well, be Well, that's, that's what does it for me these days, you mm. know? Where's your moral compass as a human? Yeah. That's massive. Holds massive yeah. weight for me. Yeah, I, I couldn't care less. You could be the best hairdresser in the world, but yeah, if if, if I'm not resonating, then or the worst, I'm sorry. You could be you could be the worst hairdresser in the world, and yeah. I won't judge you because I've had that happen to me. Yep, when I wasn't quite at the standard, we won't mention any names, but I was definitely looked down upon. Yep, and I can I relate. Think, yeah. And I think when I started educating, 
one thing that I really prided myself on was the relatability factor and being able to relate to the students or the people who were coming to the classes and stuff because I wasn't it wasn't that long ago that I was there myself mm-hmm. and I didn't like how I was treated there yeah and I was like really easily able to relate to that um, but that comes back I think that develops the abundance mindset yeah you know why I think why would people do that to you maybe to keep you down there you know yeah, to yeah. keep you there whereas the abundance mindset you understand this, there's plenty for everybody you know, why wouldn't you celebrate somebody else's success? There's yeah. plenty for everybody. Plenty for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Unless somebody does something to me that really strikes a chord, then yeah. I'll support everyone. Exactly. You know? Actions speak louder than words, you know. It might be cliche, but it's Every so time. true. It's so true. So that kind of brings us up to where we are now, I guess. And um, yeah. Who knows where it's going to go next? It's just been a wild ride so yeah. far. As McGregor would say, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> but it has. It's been a crazy ride, man. Like the, yeah. the experiences that I've had so far in my career, I'm so grateful for them. Really, really grateful for them. All the different people who are coming to us now, even like the whole Dyson gig, yeah. this and that. This is some stuff that we can get into on later episodes yeah. as to how that came about even. And it's just the divine timing of everything, the universe and how the universe is working for you. If you are working with the right intentions and you're constantly showing up you're always putting the work in eventually it will pay off yeah and it's effort you're showing up with effort I think the thing that something that I see a lot lately is like just showing up no just showing up's not enough hmm. you know showing up with adequate effort and having the self-awareness I think self-awareness oh, comes into it too huge. Right? I've said this to somebody recently be careful what you wish for just because you look 100%. at us, just because you might look at us doing what we're doing, be careful what you wish for. Because if you're not ready, you're gonna mentally fuck yourself. Yep. Because what's got us to the point where we are now is the whole story. Your story yesterday, my story today. That mental warfare that you've gone through for that many years and that much time. There's all these little micro things that you learn within yeah. that journey yeah. that add up and accumulate to the person that you are today. And you can't just step into a role without having the emotional intelligence, first of all, and the work. You can't just, how can you turn up to like a weightlifting competition yeah. as a skinny dude and try to lift that bar over your head? It's the it. same thing. Yeah. You need to put the, the work in first. It's conditioning. And look, at a certain point, yeah, you have to take risks. Taking risks is like... Calculated. Yeah, <laughs> there's a difference between taking risks and taking calculated risks. But be careful what you wish for. It's not all that it seems to be. This is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. When you see this podcast, you don't realize how much work was even involved in putting into this, like in the production side of things. Yeah. And the creating side of things. Yeah. And and only a few people will really get it. But be careful what you wish for. Sometimes it's not all what it's cracked up to be. What you see on Instagram isn't necessarily reality. You wouldn't see the days behind the scenes we're up at the crack of dawn filming all day to 10 p.m. at night, you know, all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taking a quick break and then... And you get home and you're still fucking writing back to messages or you're just... Yeah, yeah the emails and the messages, yep. It's, con- it's constant. Yeah. It's constant. But you like, got to figure out, is that what you enjoy? Is that what you like? Yeah. I personally love it. I love it. I love I think you can only do something like this if you enjoy that 
workload. I know I can throw myself into it. I mm. actually thrive off of it. Yeah. Know, the structure and the, the process. I love it. Yeah, like we were both very similar in that regard. Like I think when we had that week in Sydney when lockdown mm. lifted. Yeah. yeah. So we had a week where we were we had our days in the shop. And then I think it was on Saturday we flew to Sydney. We went straight to do the, the reconnect show. Yeah. Did the reconnect show. The next day the next three days then we did workshops yep. so three days bang, one bang, day bang, after, one after the, the, other. the next massive days 8am till 7pm workshops for three days and then flew back to Melbourne had like a day off and then went back straight into back work to shop. but that day off isn't a day off I don't day even off know if I like, day off I might just gone straight I back you, to the I shop. think you might have went straight back Yeah. but I, I would have just been working on the admin yeah, side of things doing, catching yeah. up yeah. with emails prepping Instagram posts Yeah. all of the stuff that you don't really see happening which is just mm crazy but something that we touched on yesterday you know it's, it's the journey and but just being so grateful for it like without yeah. it you don't have a story and without it you've got nothing to look back on yeah and without it you've got no conditioning no and to finish that story about Sydney where I was going with that was we both looked at it and we thought fuck but we really relished and enjoyed the oh, challenge enjoyed every minute of that we enjoyed yeah. being like when we get to it and being like oh we actually did it. Can because, you believe it? But like high five, you know. And, like and I remember, we we got we got back, and it was like four or five days of just straight work, just hammering it out all day, all day, all day. We were just mm. running off coffee and adrenaline, basically. And then we got home, and we were like, "Wow, well, we just did that. Five days is going to be easy, isn't it? Ah, six days, yeah, we could take that on, you know." And then mm. we were like, "Right, well, we're conditioned for the four or five days now. We could go more, more, more." Yeah. Um, and was it? I, I think if these lockdowns and things wouldn't didn't happen uh, we would have been in for some busy weeks and months wouldn't yeah, we yeah yeah we, like, we were gearing up for like three four straight weeks of just grind 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 absolutely um, getting I hammered. was ready for it I, I, I thrive in that stuff getting hammered like, but like, this it's is a challenge it's, it's a challenge to me it's normal so people freak out they're like ah oh, no it's so much work I'm like bring on the challenge it's like, normal for me sink or swim <laughs> I, I, I once in my cycling career this is the longest st- period of time that I did races for but I once in my cycling career did 80 race days in one season. Wow. So 80 days of racing, right? Three to four hours of race at that intensity. One time I did 12 race days in a row. Psycho. So, (laughs) to me, this is easy. Easy, yep. Easy work. No problems. Yeah. But it's difficult in a mental capacity more so than a physical capacity. I think physically I can keep going I've got that conditioning mentally it's tough and it's all the little intricate details the the organising of models the organising of flights the timings of everything all these things add up to making you tired yeah and if you're not careful I'm very much aware of this if you're not careful you're going to burn yourself out and what's interesting now is I've just started this mentorship programme with Charlie Gray a lot of people don't know that because I haven't shared it online but it just shows we're still seeking improvement all the time and one thing that I'm really wanting Charlie to help me with is not burning out yep knowing when to say enough is enough for today yep I'm I'm the same I'm reaching Mm -hmm. out to people all the time Mm -hmm. I want to learn from them I want to know what they do how they do it there's just still so much to learn because like we said it yesterday right like what's the goal 
like we both have this in our minds and I kind of know somewhere deep in the back of my mind that it's not going to work out this way because we're always going to want to work hard but you said something yesterday like oh, I'm planning for like a early retirement type of thing you know yeah and I'm obviously thinking the same thing but I know when it gets to that stage maybe we'll just be into different things maybe we'll be in a different business yeah who knows where this podcast could go who knows what who knows what can happen this, every single day the these days we're, we're getting a different offer diff- something is something, like, somebody's messaging that phone <laughs> right every <now. laughs> day with a new offer or a new opportunity or a new thing and that's the compounding effect when people discover us now and they see what we're doing now this didn't happen in the last 10 minutes nope. that's where the misconception is yeah. this has been going on for a long time even my educating journey I think maybe I think that there's probably a part of our education journeys that is kind of I don't know misunderstood people don't realise how long I've been doing it I've been in the yeah, trenches exactly I've done it for, and for like, ages I think the, yeah, for me now like like uh, touching on sort of going for the early retirement a lot of people misconceive that they, they think ah oh, Lee just wants to retire early and sit on his ass it's like no the reason I want to retire early is because then I can I feel like I can be a better human mm-hmm I really want to keep trying to be the best human I can be and I need to get to a certain point because we were talking about it yesterday. You imagine 25 days out of the month that you could just have back to yourself. Mm-hmm. Imagine how much value you could bring as a yeah. human yeah. if you just had all your time, like more time available. So right now I think that the education thing for me, and this is another sort of thing I've had to accept in my own mind and get straight in my own mind, at this point in my life, I feel like this is how I can be of best value mm-hmm. to the people around me and the people in my industry. Do I think it's the best value I can be overall? Probably not. But this is what I can do with what I've got right now. And that's what I'm always focusing on. So for me to say I want to retire early, it mean, what I mean is I want to get time back so I can just keep trying to be a better human. Yeah. That's it. And so, but we taking into consideration all the framework and the mindset that we have, there's no way I'm going to be sitting on my ass doing nothing. Not a chance. Because then I'm going to be working relentlessly at whatever it is then, you know? Might even mm. be charity work. But yeah, if I yeah. can do that, that's what I'm going to do, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You've got to, I think it's really important to keep some purpose in your life. Yeah. And my purpose is just trying to be as good a human as I can possibly be. Yeah. I think because we need it the world needs it like we've got the world needs better role models males and females whatever gender you are we need better role models mm-hmm. for me I yeah. just don't feel like it's getting better no and, <laughs> it's, you know it's interesting you I've know. gone I've gone through a bit of a transition at the moment in my life there was a time where I was really into all the flashy things material goods making myself look like I was successful it's hard to dodge that though man but I wasn't throws it at you but I wasn't really in the grand scheme of things you know because my mindset wasn't feeling that but I thought if I brought the Prada bag or if I brought this or if I bought that that I would feel achieved or accomplished or people would look at me and think this guy's got it going great you know because he's got this or he's got that and I remember being I get, I get I'm embarrassed man when I wear that stuff now you know because that's not where my mindset's at but yeah. ultimately to get back to what you were just touching on the early retirement thing for me is escaping the machine and working towards freedom 
that's what all I really want to do. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's exactly the same thing. I I want the freedom to do the things that I think will help benefit the people around me and hopefully the world. And to put that into context, when I say freedom, I don't mean again sitting at home on my ass watching fucking Netflix because I don't watch TV. Nope. I don't, I don't watch don't TV. Have a Netflix account, mate. <laughs> you don't even have a fucking TV in here, bro. Nope. You know, so that's the thing. We don't look at it that way. Freedom for me is to be able to choose your own schedule and choose the work that you want to do and when you want to do it. Yep. And how you want to do it, and why you want to do it. I think that's something that really brings, important. It brings a lot you need of to ask yourself why you want to do these things. Um. So that kind of wraps up my story really amazing <laughs> I don't think I have much more to really give or say it for today's episode it was great throughout, to it. throughout the podcast we're going to continue to touch on different learnings that we've had from our journeys anyway um, so I think it's probably enough for people to listen to for yeah. one day it's nice to just lay it out though isn't it yeah. lay it out get it out of the system it's always there if you want to look at it shall I leave the podcast on a, a bit of a quote should I say something? One last bit of uh, of uh, give us a line, inspire me, a bit of enlightenment or something. Huh? I'll try to be inspiring. No, but for real, I think don't give a fuck about what anyone says. Go after what you feel that you're capable of doing, and just always believe in yourself, and be brave enough to go after it. That's that's pretty much it. I got a tattoo across my chest. It says Fortis in Arduis. It's a Latin quote. It's from my mom's family crest and it says Brave in Difficulties mm. in Latin. That's my, in my mom's ha- handwriting. And I also have a tattoo on my wrist. It's a bit cringe, but it says Believe. And I had that when I was a cyclist, you know, so I could look at it and be like, just, you know, believe in yourself. Because ultimately, if you can conquer the mind and you can control your own mind and not let anybody else or any external factors really get at you like that, and affect the direction that you're going in, you can do anything. So thank you for taking this time, Lee. Thanks for sharing the story, man. It was amazing. Amazing to hear all the Yeah, look, there's, there's probably some more to it, to be honest, but like, I, I don't want to be going on and boring people, but um, I hope that people have taken something away from it or can relate in some way, shape, or form. I'd love to hear some feedback too, you know, like, uh, or if anyone has any questions or yeah. queries. Again, quick little shout out give a shout to the sponsors yeah well first of all Jack Reed Foundation mm. um, we're going to we're going to release very soon on the podcast ways and how people can donate to the Jack Reed Foundation um, they're doing great things and we're going to run some maybe competitions for them through the podcast as well yeah we have CBD Culture Australia thank you for providing us with some CBD we actually haven't taken any yet um, premium, I generally premium extract yeah I, I generally like to uh, to take it when I'm relaxing, going to yep. going to bed or going to sleep, um, or when I finish a day's work and I yeah. feel a bit like stiff and sore. We'll yeah. get into that on another podcast. We got fired up for this one, didn't we? Bit of bit of breath work. Yeah, we did a bit of bit breath of work of, uh, this morning. Bit of a bulletproof coffee again. Fasting. My my stomach just rumbled. Actually, did you hear it? Did you hear <laughs> no, that? I didn't. Just letting you know. Um, <laughs> and tapped by Hatch Digital Business Cards. Yeah, got some very exciting stuff coming with them. T- soon too um so we'll touch on all of these things further in further episodes so thanks again for tuning in and watching the network podcast or listening to the network podcast and we'll see you on episode four